All right, uh, today we are continuing the message series, Sermon on the Mount, and um, it's, it's just humbling to, to teach on Jesus' greatest sermon ever and the world's greatest sermon ever, so I'm trying to explain that to you, and it take, it's going to take us like, you know, the rest of the summer uh, to break it down and basically try to describe what Jesus is trying to say in all this, and so... Uh, just pray for me as uh, I communicate this, because my heart is just to share um, God's heart for our church, for our body, for us individually. Where'd everybody go? <laughs> Don't worry, it's a momentary reconnection of the lights. But um, there's three things I want to accomplish today in teaching on this. So let me give you the title. This is uh, when Jesus talks about how he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So um, it's a very tough scripture. We're going to jump into that minute. But before we jump into the scripture, I just want to tell you the three things I'm hoping to accomplish this morning. The first one is to help us as a church, as individuals, and as a body to love and be hungry for and to get into God's word. Um, you'll see as, as I, I uh, go through my message, I over-prepared in gathering content and I under-prepared in making it concise in how to explain it. So uh, I've, I've got more here than I'm going to be able to get to. And so, great thing about that is, I'm going to give you some homework. You know, a lot of preachers say, well, I got a lot of content, so get, buckle up and get ready. We're going to be here till uh, midnight. But I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to say is, write stuff down. And then you can decide next week, you can tell Bob and tell the pastors, oh, we'd rather have you keep preaching because we don't like homework. But, but I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. And I think um, it's, actually biblical, it's actually God's heart that we, that we do some homework. You know, there was a... a a church called Berea in the book of Acts. And Paul went to them and taught to them. And they were all like, hmm, let me think about this. And after he taught, they all went home, studied the scriptures to confirm everything that said. They said, we're not going to believe anything some stranger comes in and tells us. We're going to make sure it lines up with God's word. It did. And they came back and they all became believers and they followed Paul's. But they were commended for their um, diligence in going to study the word. So our heart is that today you would love more, be more hungry, and get more into God's word. Second thing I want to accomplish, that was three things, so that wasn't the three things, that was the, just the first thing. See how I did that? I snuck them all in there. The second thing I want you to, want us to properly understand and respond to the Old Testament and the first covenant. And I'm not going to answer all the questions. I'm, I want to get you started. I want to ask you questions. You're like, that homework you gave us, I need to go read it because I'm not sure he answered all my questions. And I probably won't. Hopefully I stir up more questions than answer. But I do want to answer questions as well. The third, so properly understand the Old Testament, the, the first covenant, the covenant given to Moses that the Israelites followed, tried to follow. The third thing that I want to accomplish this morning is, is for us to hear God's word this morning, uh, taught in the Sermon on the Mount, this little section, these four verses, and to offer our hearts up to God and say, God, I've heard this, this, this word from you. I've heard it taught on for a half hour this morning. And God, I want to apply it to my life. I want to put it into practice. So I give you my heart, Jesus, because I know I can't do it on my own. I need your Holy Spirit. I need your life. And so I pray that our response at the end of this message is to offer our hearts up to God for him to infuse with his spirit so that we can put it into practice. So our scripture for today is Matthew 5, verse 17 through 20. It's going to be on the board, but I encourage you, we're going to be looking at this a lot. And so if you want to keep being able to refer back to it, open it up in your phone, open it up in your Bible, uh, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. And as you look that up or write that down in your journals, 
Um, just real briefly, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount. Bob taught on the Matthew 1 through 4, the first four chapters leading up to this, where Jesus, it talks about Jesus' um, lineage. It talks about him being baptized, him going into ministry, him gathering his disciples. And then it talks about the, the sermon began with the Beatitudes, blessed are, all those things. Um, meaning that those who are blessed by God will have this character develop in them. And so, last week, Pastor Craig taught on salt and light. So I encourage you to go back. Um, we, we're trying to put all our, our messages up online on a podcast, so you can look and find those on our website. So uh, feel free to catch up. We'd love for you to, to dig into that. But let's jump into this week's sermon when Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Starting in verse 17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness and my righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, we will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, that's a very strong statement. Sometimes you get to that last phrase and you're like, I forgot what the rest said because that one's kind of, that's a, that's a tough one. So what's this all about again? So we're going to dive into that. We're going to uh, find out what is Jesus talking about. Is he saying no one's going to make it, give up hope? No. He is our hope. And so we're going to dive into how he came to fulfill the law and give us a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So let's, what we're going to do is just break down this verse bit by bit. So let's go back to verse 17 where it started. And it starts with the phrase, do not think. And so... I guess that's all we need to do. Um, so my message is done. So here, no kidding. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So that's where I want to start with that phrase. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So apparently Jesus knew that some people were thinking this. And why would people think that he was coming to abolish the law? Well, Jesus had a group of disciples around him that did not fit the mold. Did not fit what the Jews regarded as people who you'd want to follow, people who exemplify God's law. They don't, the Pharisees and the teachers, they represented God's law. That's who you wanted to be like if you were going to do it. And Jesus was doing things completely contrary to that. He's got a bunch of followers, but were following him, very much unlike the followers of the Pharisees. They were sinful. They were broken. They were the, the marginal people of society. And he was gathering all these people around him, and people were like, oh, I guess, look at, look at who he's hanging out with. He must be throwing out the law. He must be doing something different. And Jesus said, no, don't think that. I'm not coming to abolish the law. I'm coming to fulfill it. So, let's ta- take another step and look at the last phrase of that, that first sentence. I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. So for us to understand this, we need to know what is the law, what is the prophets. So most of us have heard, if you don't know, the law refers to the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, 
Deuteronomy. Okay? So it's, and that's where God's rules, that's where the Ten Commandments are, and that's where um, the story of creation all the way through uh, Exodus and as the people enter into the promised land, or prepared to enter the promised land. And then the prophets, we think of that as, well, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then there's 12 more or 13 more minor prophets. Those are the prophets. But, G- but when they say prophets, prophets is referring to the whole Old Testament. Every other book other than the law. Because everyone who hears from God and then shares that with someone else is a prophet. We think of a prophet as someone who, who says, uh, you know, the world's going to end in 17 days. And uh, if you buy gold, you're going to be set. In these ne- you have a good time. Or these next- no, a prophet, that, that's a prophecy. And prophecies are fulfilled. So that makes sense. But a prophet is a more general term. It's someone who hears from God on behalf of God's saying, hey, I'm going to tell you something I want you to tell everybody else. And so in that sense, we all, in the, in the New Testament says, we should all desire to be prophetic. We should all, all desire to hear from God something that he wants to share others. And that's how we become good teachers, is we hear from God, we hear from his word, we hear from the Holy Spirit, and we share it with others. And so, um, the Law and the Prophets is the whole Old Testament. So, before I say any more about this, there's an amazing video I want to show you. Um, there's a whole video series about this on... Um, YouTube, on their website, and it's, it's incredible, so I'm going to move this out of the way and allow you to watch this video, and it, it'll describe things very quickly, so pay attention. Buckle up. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, am I supposed to obey some of these All of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention, because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws, and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. 
So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there, to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. Good stuff, right? So that is the Bible project. Write that down if you have a moment or type in your phone or go ahead and go on Safari on your phone and look it up right now and then you can have that in your history to refer back to. Because as we, as I said, you know, my first point is I want us as a church to hunger for the law. Sometimes we, we get into the, the Bible and we're a little confused and there's big chunks of stuff that we don't quite understand and so we just like, we give up. And I've been in that place. Um, but... Uh, um, just want to encourage you to use that as a tool. They have tons of videos that as you're reading the Bible, you can watch a video about what you read and it'll 
concisely say, okay, this is what it's talking about in a way that's very clear. And so that kind of summed up my message. So now I can dive into more of the stuff that I prepared, over-prepared for. So, but let's go back to our verse. We just finished saying, do not think that I've come to abolish a lot of the prophets. But then it continues to say, for truly, I tell you. Or, or he actually said, but I have come to fulfill them. But to fulfill them. So what is abolish and fulfill? Abolish is to do away with. And fulfill means to complete. Now some people have translated that to say that um, Jesus came to fulfill the law, but uh, once it's fulfilled, it's completed, and we no longer need to think about it. We can put it aside. Now that's not really the meaning of that word. To fulfill it, let's say you each had a glass of water, and it represented the old covenant, and you needed a full glass to really get the amount of nutrition and moisture your body needs, right? And so uh, I come along representing Jesus and I fill the rest of your glass and you're like, wonderful, that's great. And then on our way out, we all set those full glasses at the door and we leave unsatisfied. We didn't partake of it. That's the picture that people who say that the old law doesn't matter, it's no longer needed, we don't need to look at it, we don't need to study it, it's archaic, it's dumb, whatever people say about it. That's not true. Jesus came to fulfill it. You see, the law is good. The law is just. How many of you would appreciate it if we got rid of all traffic laws and people could drive however they wanted? How many agree that that's a bad idea? God's law is the same way. It's just. It's fair. It keeps regulations. Now, there's, there's some, our laws that we follow are man-made, and some of them are like don't make sense, and we disagree with some of them. But in general, we like lawfulness. We dislike lawlessness. There are nations in the world that have quite a bit of lawlessness. And if you look at the development of countries, the more lawfulness, the higher economic development. The less lawfulness, the lower economic development. It's almost a perfect line. And uh, laws allow us to operate in freedom. But the problem is we don't follow the law. Both, you know, um, we see all around us. Uh, people have a hard time following the law. And that's kind of the point. So Jesus is going to fulfill the law, not just for his behalf, but on our benefit, so that we can actually walk in lawfulness, so that we can walk in truth, so that we can walk in justice, so that we can do that, so we can actually, if he can fulfill it in us, then we can have the life that the law designed for us to have, to be blessed, to walk with God, to have nothing in between us and God. That's God's heart for us. The law can't accomplish that if we could follow it. But, as we've seen, we can't in our own ability. We need Jesus to come and do something that the law could never do. So, he came to fulfill it. Verse 18, if you're following along back in Matthew 5. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now, when I first read this, I, I began just to chew on this. It was like, does that mean we need to go back and read all the laws and, and find out what we're messing up on? Because there's a lot of rules that we're not following. There's a lot of Old Testament things. How many of you eat kosher every day? Nobody? All right. There's actually some really good recipes, but most of us aren't following a kosher diet. And there, that's just one small section. There's a lot of sections we're not following. In fact, there's a whole section of the Old Testament, the laws, that are based on worshiping God in the temple. How many of us are doing that? We're not. 
And, and, and those specifically are, the Jews are actually waiting. They have everything built, all the furniture that needs to go into a new temple. They're waiting to rebuild the temple so they can reinstitute temple worship. But they don't understand that Jesus took care of that, and we're going to get into that a little later. He actually fulfilled that because all the temple worship is a representation of heaven. And all the sacrifices are a representation of Jesus and his sacrifice. And so, I don't know, I might get back to that. I might not. I'm not going to promise anything. <laughs> um, that might be part of your homework, to study that. So, when it says, not the smallest letter, not any of these things will disappear until everything is accomplished. Okay, so Jesus came to fulfill, and he came to accomplish. And um, we're going to see uh, what he did. So, what should our response be? How do we respond then to the Old Testament, to God's word? Well, I'm going to read to you um, a section in Exodus that is actually right at the beginning of where he goes into a lot of the very first time he, he read the law. When he came down, Moses came down with the law. This is how he started things off. He said, and I'll give you the reference, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And I encourage you to write that down because it's a good life verse to live by. Even though it's Old Testament. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Hobby Lobby's made this real easy for us. There's all kinds of decorations with scripture. So we now know that God has said, go ahead and spend, you know, put some in your budget to over each month, start filling your house. It's a joke, but you know what? How many of you know if it's there, you rigged it, and it becomes a part of your thing? So there's a reason why God did this. And in the Old Testament, there were so many rules, there's so much stuff that they needed to remember so that they could tr- do their very best to fulfill the law, that if they didn't, like, put this around them all the time, they were going to forget. And guess what? They did forget, and they didn't follow. But in the same way, our, our response should be the same, except that we have God's help. So we still should love the Lord with all our heart. We still should talk about these commandments to our children and talk about them. So, but in, the, in, in my upbringing, and probably a lot of us growing up in the church, and we said, well, the Old Testament, that's done away with, there's a new covenant, don't got to worry about it. By just kind of saying, well, eh, it's kind of a meh attitude, right? Whatever. Then we don't really know what Jesus fulfilled. We don't really understand what he accomplished if we don't know what the law was. And so it's important for us also to study the law. It's important us to know the power of, of the law. And so I'm just going to tell you a personal story from, from our experience of how this has been affecting us recently. Um, as many of you know, we, we have three kids, uh, 13, 14, 15. And if you do the math, subtract about 12 years from that, we had a one, two, and three-year-old, a two, three, and four-year-old, and so on and so forth. And there was a season of a life where, you know, Janet and I have always loved God and loved the Word and, and, and have been students of the Word, but there was a season where we weren't able to really dig into as much. And as our children were growing, we still would try to impart everything we could into them. But we were kind of distracted with, you know, paying a mortgage and feeding them and surviving. And we, we weren't able to, you know, kind of establish some of those disciplines 
true the whole time that we would have liked. And so in the last few years as they become teenagers and we're blessing them into adulthood, at 13, uh, we, we do a ceremony for each of our kids and we just we release them into uh, the adulthood and, and, and we, we kind of transition to where they're carrying their own spiritual development. And we're, we come alongside them as long as they're at home and, and help them and support them. But we're like, at, now that they're all at that stage of life, what can we do as a family to support them and help them have the right foundation? And so we tried different things, but then in November we really started getting motivated and we started to decide as a family, let's read the whole Bible through in a year. And so four months into it, I'm proud to say that we're three months along in our journey. So we're only a month behind, so, and, and a year's not a magic number, but we're going to, before they leave our house, you know, in the next two years, our oldest, we're going to get through it. And that's going to be awesome because we're going to make it through and as a family read the whole Bible, discuss it. And what that's going to do is give them a foundation to say, yeah, I've read it all, and, and now I know what Jesus accomplished. I know what he did. And so we're really enjoying that. And right now, uh, most of us are somewhere between Exodus and Judges because we're at different parts of the journey. We're trying to bring it together. But um, I've been reading the law. I've, and it's the first time I really read through it, I think, all the way through without skipping genealogies and different things. And as I read it, I, I'm not then starting to follow all the rules and, and um, become kosher and all those things. But I'm starting to identify, wow, Jesus fulfilled that. And that, oh, that's why Jesus said this. Oh, and, I, and I'm seeing all the stuff he referred back to and all the things, and it's coming to life for me. And, and our whole family is having those experiences. When I see, we see our kids commenting each day as they read, we'll see little sparks of like, man, they're getting it. They're, they're, they're absorbing God's word, and it's coming to life for them. And so that is what's happening in our family. And I want to encourage you as, as we, whether you've, you decide, hey, that's a great plan, we'll follow that, or whatever God puts on your heart, for you and your family to do. I want to encourage you to do that because we are all teachers. Um, some people say, well, okay, you're a pastor or you're, a, you're, you're a, a seminary professor or whatever. Those are the people who are the teachers and we all will come to church and we'll listen to the teachers and then we'll do what they say. Well, I hope that doesn't excite you. I hope you're like, well, I want to study. I want to learn because we're all, we all teach. People see our lives and they learn a lesson. That makes us a teacher. And so we're either, well, let me read the next verse. Verse 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, how do you teach them? By your actions. Will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And then the second half of that is whoever teaches people to, practices and teaches these will be called greatest. So, if we are all called, if we're all teaching, then we need to be good students. Because someone who hasn't studied is probably not going to be an effective teacher. Someone who has studied is going to have something to share. You're either proactive or you're inactive in your preparation for the teaching that you do. And so for me, that convicts me because I'm seeing my kids as teenagers. And I'm like, okay, I've got a lot to teach them in the next few years before they leave our house. How, and, and so that motivates me to study. But it's a little overwhelming when we say, well, this is a pretty big book. And we're all busy, just like we shared our story. You're all in your own situation of, you know, we don't have all margins to quit our jobs and become seminary students. 
Unless anybody, no. There might be a couple of you out there. But the point is, how are we going to do this? Well, I've got good news for you. And they said it on this verse in Matthew 22. I don't think this is in your notes, so you might want to write this down. Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus, uh, a Pharisee comes up to him and says, Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, Jesus replied in verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, didn't we just read that in the law? So Jesus didn't come up with that. He's actually quoting the law. So he's come to fulfill that. He didn't come up with a new idea. He's quoting from the scripture. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now that is actually found in Leviticus. So he's quoting another law from Leviticus. He's fulfilling the laws. But this is really cool, verse 40. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's great news. So we can throw out the old. We don't need it anymore. No, we still want to study it so that we see what Jesus fulfills. So, I want to give you an example of somebody in the Bible, King Josiah, who saw himself and he saw the people around him were in a place where they had been setting aside, just like verse 19 says. um, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least. He saw that they were setting aside God's word. So, let's read this story. This is uh, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. And again, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to read some excerpts, but I want to encourage you to read this whole story because it is incredible. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He was the second to last king before Judah, which was the, the, last, the last of Israel that was remaining in the promised land, were sent to captivity by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. So he's second to last king. It says in verse 2 that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or the left. So let me just tell the story in a nutshell, just for the sake of time. So, as you know, David was the first, there was Saul, and then he was rejected as king because he didn't follow God's commands. And David came along as anointed king, and David conquered a bunch of stuff, established the kingdom, things were going well, and he's like, I want to build a temple. And God said, no, that's for your son to do. Solomon then built a temple, had a wonderful reign, but then in the last quarter of his reign, or the last eight years, he began to follow the gods of his wives. And for his wives, he decided to build little uh, worship places in Jerusalem so his wives could worship their gods. Very thoughtful, right? But very much against God's commands. And they led Solomon astray, and he began to worship these idols. Now we have then, Josiah is 300 years later. So there were good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings. And it's it's an amazing story, just as we saw. But of all the good kings, in between the bad kings, none of them had torn down those high places in Jerusalem, near the temple, that all that time that kept leading the people astray. So for 300 years of all the kings of Judah, they left these high places so that there was always the option to go back. And so Josiah, in the 18th year of his reign, he's 26 years old, and he's 
he's uh, wanting to make some changes. He's like, something needs to happen. So he sent some people to the temple because it was in disrepair. They were not following temple worship at that time. And they cleaned it out, and one of the guys came back and said, Josiah, look, I found the book of the law. And so he said, well, read it to me. So they read it, and as they, let me read what happens here. Then the secretary informed the king, Hilkah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan, Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. And he called all the, verse, chapter 23 begins with this. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Then he went and he destroyed those high places. And he took everything out of the temple that was set up for false gods. And he went throughout Jerusalem and he spent, and there was, there's a whole chapter of list after list after places that he tore down and desecrated all these false things. He finally removed all these things from Israel. Even though God said, hey, it's too late. I'm still going to bring judgment on Judah. But you're not going to see in your lifetime. Even hearing that bad news, that judgment's still coming, he still obeyed. He still cleansed the whole nation, destroyed all the idols. And I believe, as, as I was studying this, that that is the heart we are to have. Not to go back and read all the law and to try to follow it, but to have this, the same heart Josiah had. To, God, I want you to search my heart. Is there anything I have set up before you? Is there anything I have done that is not in line with your word? And those are the greatest. To love you with all my heart and to love my neighbor as myself. And that's the question I want to bring us to today. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. So that sounds very narrow. That sounds very narrow-minded, limited. And it is, because there is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law rejected Jesus. He was the one way to enter the kingdom. And so Jesus brings a righteousness apart from the law. And so here's home, it's homework time. All right? So I want you to make note of this, these scriptures. This is, because I studied this and I was, and I've brought up a question and I haven't completely answered it. But Paul spent most of his time in the New Testament answering this question. If you read Acts chapter 15, verses, um, yeah, the whole chapter, it talks about how some, uh, they were hearing about Gentiles getting saved, so some, some, some religious people, very good, you know, good-hearted uh, people from Jerusalem decided to go up to this other city where Paul was preaching to Gentiles and say, hey, we just want you to know, it's glad you're coming to the Lord. Just want you to know, until you're circumcised, it doesn't count. You've got to start following the law. Then you can be saved. 
and Paul got angry. And so he and Barnabas went down and, and, took, and, and they said, this isn't, this isn't right. Why are you asking us to follow the law? Jesus fulfilled the law. So he's not saying that the law isn't good and that, that it didn't, didn't have a purpose. He's saying Jesus fulfilled that. So um, I'll let you read the rest. Hopefully you're intrigued. Then Paul, in Romans chapter 2 and 3, explains the law and grace and what we must do to inherit eternal life, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Galatians is a story of a whole church in Galatia where Paul had preached the gospel. Another city that people had come into, again, the same mindset. Hey, guys, we need to start following these rules because um, we're just not doing a good enough job unless we follow the rules. And he's saying... Don't do it. It was for freedom. I, Christ set us free. Don't then be in bondage to a yoke of slavery again. So read Galatians, the whole book. Finally, I want to conclude in the book of Hebrews, 7 through 10. And this is where, and I talked last time I spoke during our series on the Stations of the Cross, I talked about Jesus being the high priest, how when they stripped him of his garments, the garments that they took from him were the same kind of garments that a high priest would wear, the undergarment. And the point of that is, is that Jesus was our high priest. And he, through his own blood, instead of all these animal sacrifices in the temple that represented heaven, he took his own blood as high priest. He went to heaven. He laid it on the altar before God, and God said, that's what I've been waiting for. That's what I wanted to see. You have fulfilled the law. You have fulfilled it all. And so now there's no more need for animal sacrifice. The blood of Jesus has been shed. And that's why at communion we celebrate with the wine that represents the blood of Jesus, the new and covenant. No more does blood need to be shed. And we remember that. We partake of the bread to remember his broken body for us. So, uh, in conclusion, as the worship team comes up, Jesus is our high priest and he fulfilled the law by being the true high priest, laying his own life down on the true altar of heaven. And that's what Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10 explains so well. And I wish I could read it all to you right now. I want to encourage you to, to read that because when I read that, I'm like, I just need to read this. I don't need to preach. I just need to read this. So please, please, please um, take some time to read that and understand it for yourself. But Jesus brings a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. In Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6, I don't believe this is in your notes either. God actually calls and names himself our righteousness Savior. It says in Jeremiah 23, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up from David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. So this is hundreds of years before Jesus came. They proclaimed that Jesus would be our righteousness. We need to clothe ourselves in Jesus. And so in response, we're going to sing a song to Jesus. I want to encourage you to, to learn this song and to sing along with it. And as I've heard the song in the past, and it hadn't resonated with me because I really didn't have a, have a connection to it. But as I listened to it, as I was going through the set list, I listened to the verses, and it talks about God turning our, our gray and our, um, our, our drabness and, and bringing it to color and bringing it to life. And 
God showed me as I was just listening to that, as I was studying this, the law, the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant, it's black and white, like literally, right? I don't need that anymore. It's black and white, but when we bring our hearts to God and say, God, I want to follow you. I want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind and strength. His Holy Spirit enters us as we come with that heart and he fills us and he brings it to life. It's just like the Wizard of Oz when they land in Oz and it goes from black and white to color. It's, it's just a little, little example of what God wants to do in our lives. So let's, I want to invite you to stand at this time and as we respond in communion, as we respond in worship, let's just offer our hearts to the Lord and say, God, will you fulfill the law in me? Will you do what only you can do? Help me to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Show me those high places in my heart that you want to tear down. God, let me tear my robes and, and, and uh, have a broken heart that you can heal and you can fill with your life. And it's all because of what you did, Jesus. We love you. You are hope. You are righteousness. Clothe us in your righteousness. Clothe us in your love today. In Jesus' name.
we're going to just tell Jesus how much we love him. And this bridge just says, oh, how I love you. Isaiah 61.10 says, I delight it greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he hath clothed me. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Jesus, clothe us in your righteousness. Thank you that when God sees us, he sees us through your righteousness. Not based on what we've done, but based on your love. God, we stand before you completely loved, completely accepted. And so, Jesus, we want to respond with thanksgiving. Oh, how we love you, Jesus. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love you. Oh, how I love you. Jesus. Oh, how.
continue just to respond and worship and give you that opportunity to worship we have some prayer people in the back so as uh, we just kind of continue to quietly worship in here please if you need to go we want to dismiss you at this time let's connect with people in the foyer as we just continue to uh, serve God with all the heart soul mind and strength Lord I give you my heart give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart, give you my soul. Every moment I'm awake
Jesus, do what you want in our lives. 